a wonderful hello to you, Stephen. Welcome to my podcast. Please state your full name and um, what you do. My name is uh, Stephen Bernstein. Um, I do several things. Uh, I am a film director. I've got a new film coming out later this year with uh, John Malkovich and Lisa Barnes called Last Call. I uh, was a cinematographer for a very long time. Uh, shot films like uh, the Oscar-winning Monster with uh, Charlize Theron and big action films like uh, SWAT, TV series uh, like uh, Magic City, which I was nominated for the American Society of Cinematography Awards. And then, of course, I'm a screenwriter and uh, been a very busy one uh, lately, um, about uh, 11 scripts, uh, major scripts commissioned either for TV series or for movies in the last uh, four years. So those are the things that I do. And I produce films. I have written books about film and I travel right. around the world lecturing as well. Right. Awesome. Thank you um, for this uh, short introduction to who you are as a person. I mean, there is there is so much to explore when it comes to talking to you. Uh, but uh, today I want to focus on the writing side of things uh, because my um, my followers and my audience is basically um, contains writers um, of various sorts. And um, I think they're going to find it very interesting um, to get another perspective, yet another perspective on writing. Um, and so to kick it off, there is sort of a kind of a dilemma that I find myself in. You know, I'm, I'm a story consultant and also a, a, script, a script teacher, screenwriting teacher. And when it comes to the teaching side, knowing what the business sort of demands and what's out there and what producers are looking for, I kind of find myself in a tough spot here and there. Uh, what I mean by that is like um, working as a story consultant on these projects that are about to, you know, that are in development in various stages or whatnot, I sort of get the notion that 95% of the movies that I'm working on, they're totally based on, you know, this three-act structure. Even, I would say, like, very bluntly on the Blake Snyder um, um, formula, if you will. And only maybe about five or even less than 5% are, you know, are really daring. And um, I myself, as a teacher, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to, you know, guide those students of mine into the business of writing and ultimately, hopefully selling a script, right? So I, I would probably, you know, do, do them good by, by making sure that they understood the three-act structure and the Blake Snyder concept, right? But on the other hand, and that's, you know, the dilemma that I find myself in, I personally, um, I'm really bored when it comes to, you know, this, this strict structure that everyone's sort of following these days, like, and you can, you can spot it like straight away, you know? Um, and, and it, it's, and I feel like, um, and I would really love your take on that, that this, this dilemma of mine is, 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 is springs from this me wanting those other 5% to raise up, you know, I don't, I don't mean like taking over, um, but, you know, just a little bit, amp it up a little bit. Um, and I'm curious to, to hear your take on that, like structure in general and, and where you see things going. Well, look, I, I understand your dilemma. Um, and it's this problem because films cost a lot of money to make. Yes. And the minute money um, enters the equation, 
there is a natural conservatism because people don't want to risk their money on something that has an uncertain outcome. Right. But the nature of art is uncertainty. Exactly. We're not providing a uh, service like uh, the production of a, a hamburger or a, uh, <laughs> a screw or a widget for a machine that has precise function and in its ordering and delivery, you can anticipate what you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, art is reaching those parts of our character or our sensibilities or our psychological understandings that are difficult to quantify or even to fully recognize exist. Yes. Um, that is the nature of art, to provide an understanding of the human condition that we don't have. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't have much of a function. 100%. If the function of what we do is only light entertainment, then fair enough, we can provide stimuli that might make people laugh or cry. But we know as writers to be suspicious of those things that make people laugh or cry, right. be it a joke or uh, some whiplash uh, uh, manipulation to elicit a, a, an unearned reaction um, in an audience. So there, uh, to restate your central dilemma, um, is... You know, what are we attempting to do when we're writing uh, a screenplay? Yeah. Now, the, 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 the paradox of this is that if we think that our, our function is to make money, we might discover that the most successful films are not those that follow the traditional orthodoxy. Exactly. I mean, look at films of Charlie Kaufman, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah. wonderful, wonderful example. I was, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, sure. Or, or, or Mike Lee is a, another example. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a new film in America that's released, uh, I think it was on Amazon Netflix, called uh, Palm Springs, which is, a, again, a violation of much, most of the structural rules that were given. Oh, interesting. This is the other thing. And there's something more philosophic that's happening here, uh, and we can understand it through the observation of other arts. I, I know I'm here to talk about writing, but the advantage that I bring is that I have function other parts of the industry, yeah. which changed my understanding of how films work. But look, let's look at the history of painting. Multi-perspective then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I'm trying to do. Is in, in painting, um, you know, uh, are all paintings from the 18th century, 17th century, 16th century been done exactly in the same way? Yeah. Or did painting evolve um, as an art? Well, obviously it did. We had Expressionism. Uh, we have Impressionism. We have... Um, cubism, um, we have modernism, postmodernism. Um, art, um, and in terms of classical painting, uh, has changed. Yeah. And it's changed because it served a different function um, as the culture changed, the right. zeitgeist changed. Yeah. Um, you look at the history of theater, which is our most obvious and immediate antecedent mm -hmm. to film. And we see how very different. Um, the plays of Arthur Wink Pinero in a well-structured play, and then Samuel Beckett. Right. Um, very, very different because theater was learning that it had to serve a different function mm -hmm. as the zeitgeist altered. Mm -hmm. And yet in film, curiously, there's a suggestion that it shouldn't evolve, but devolve. Mm -hmm. Produce orthodoxies, which is really to say, what is an orthodoxy? Um, it is to say that all films should be written the same way. Yeah. Or it's Basically, to say yeah. that you can change your story, mm -hmm. but that the form has to remain the same. same but yes. art is a combination of form and Both. content. Yeah. Right. So if we're to say that we're to eliminate as artists our experimentation with form, then we're essentially reducing um, the art.
and then I'm talking a lot here, for, so forgive me, but I'll give no, no. one little you know, anecdote, a, a, a children's story. Yeah. Uh, there's a child who lived in a little village by a forest. And uh, in his little village, uh, he had a map and he knew exactly where every street was, every house was, every shop was. Mm -hmm. But the forest was a magical place full of uh, mysteries. There were voices there, oh. um, strange uh, ethereal creatures that talked about life and death and all the meanings that are available to us uh -huh. um, that we can access. But they spoke in codes and uh, poetry and in whispers could be barely heard. Mm -hmm. No one fully understood what happened in the forest, but they knew the forest was profound and deep and fathomless, but no one ever went there because it couldn't be quantified. And in the end, the boy grew up understanding his village and all the streets in his village mm -hmm. from the map that he had but he never ventured into the forest, which was much more profound, complex, but not quantifiable. Mm -hmm. yeah. What the story tries to illustrate is that ultimately, we always go back to the thing that we know and we understand, yeah. the quantifiable, the map of the village that we live in. But those places which are deep and profound and complex, that can't be measured and quantifiable, but ultimately are more profound we don't venture forth because we can't measure them, determine them, or yeah. control them. Right. So I would suggest that the human spirit, uh, those things that lie within us, yeah. those things which are difficult to understand, those parts of filmmaking, which ultimately may move an audience in a way that none of us can anticipate, yeah. are those are the areas, that's the force we never venture into. Yeah. The thing that no. we can map, we all know so well, and after yeah. a while becomes, I think, kind of boring. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I love your, um, I love uh, how you elaborated on that very much. Um, it made me think of there is also this saying around going around like give me give me the same but different, um, which which is which is basically you know um, when you when you told the story that you know ultimately immediately popped up into my head like this I. I know. Okay, this is sort of you know the gist of of it, and um, yeah, we, we come back to the things that we know definitely, and they um, they create a kind of a safe environment for us, um, and also something that we can calculate. And I kind of feel, and not to go too far off road here, but um, I kind of feel that maybe this certainty that we all want so badly, you know, is um, it's it's kind of we're in those ages right now or, or right now in this year in particular where you know the certainty has been taken out of the equation almost completely right you know we we're sort of living from lockdown to lockdown and 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 it's in, it's a global phenomena uh, and and people are going nuts because the certainty is is missing um so so my question would be where does it to sort of take us when we consider this like us wanting this certainty does it mean that now the films that we're going to watch from here on out like next year or the following years are they even following this format this this formula even more strict or is it exactly turning like swinging the other side and and it's providing with us you know with this you know what i'm It's a brilliant observation, and it goes to what is at the heart of the dilemma of screenwriting. Yeah. Um, 
Yes, uh, I think the world is essentially a chaotic place. Even before the pandemic, yeah. it was chaotic. The imposition of order is an artifice. Mm. We want the world to be ordered and predictable, right. but it isn't. Yeah. The question is, do we want our drama to be ordered and predictable? Yeah. Now, you know, again, if we wake up uh, every day and have the same rituals, drink the same coffee, see the same friends, and say the same thing to them and go to a job each day that mm, is, uh, is has the same, the same uh, yeah. parameters and obligations. Yeah. I wonder how long we can do that mm. before we lose interest in it. Yeah. I think there's two different um, basic human impulses. Yeah. Um, the impulse for uh, a genuine knowledge of uh, our shared human condition, mm -hmm. which is uh, not ordered, it is chaotic, it yeah. is dangerous and is uncertain, and then that contrary uh, desire for uh, the predictive. And when the world is predictive and predictable and certain, um, we're not at risk, but neither are we necessarily engaged and enjoying ourselves. Right. So, um, and I'm, I'm not sure it's honest either. I'm not sure that the portrayal of the world as uh, a series of crises with uh -huh. an increase um, of, of stakes um, a dilemma, a central um, plot point uh, or a, a turn, and then a resolution mm -hmm. in a third act is the way I have experienced life. I think it's the way we wish life was. Yes, exactly. But I don't think it's the way li the way life is. Hundred percent. So I also think there's a, another just technical problem. Uh, I don't know if it's the same thing for you, Ben, but when I write. If I uh, write, as I am obliged to do sometimes for clients who insist on this three-act structure, yeah. if I write to uh, achieve um, certain uh, events by certain pages, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. if uh, I have to convey certain information to my audience mm -hmm. via exposition right. uh, so that they can understand where I'm going, where the yeah. character's motivation is and so on, then ultimately I'm not writing a character truthfully. Exactly. And the audience, not organically. Is, I think, yeah. And yeah, I think yeah. audiences intuit that right away. Right. We speak about a great many things. Now, right now, we're, we're talking about this because we're focused on this. Mm -hmm. But if you and I were just engaged in ordinary conversation, yeah. there'd be so many different subtexts that would be passing between us. And the longer we knew each other, the more the subtext yes. would, would become rich and complex. Yeah. You know, if we had mutual friends, if we had an argument in the past, if we had shared uh, uh, you know, a, a lover at some time, if yeah. we had been in business together, we might make oblique or encoded references to mm -hmm. these things yeah. as people ordinarily do. Right. But when people write with the three acts, uh, they write usually principally around exposition, the conveying mm -hmm. of information, believing that plot uh, and story are the only thing that matters. Yeah. And I would argue those are the things that matter the least. least. Yes, I'm so with you on this. So with you. Yeah, because I feel like when you it's like you wanting it to cramp in there like there's this this corset or whatever and, and you you just making it fit uh, but it doesn't really want to fit um and also since we all you know been around the block and exposition is never a too good idea you know especially when it's so obvious like and it and it feel like you know if you want to cramp things in then it you 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 will find yourself in the, on the spot here and there needing to give the information and, and how do you give the information you know and 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 the the, the worst thing is by uh, you know people speaking about it
just you know blurting it out uh, and there you go um and what's what's the emotional reaction uh, almost none you know you can you cannot relate but other other on the other end when you start from a character and you follow this character you know through all the obstacles and uh, and how he or she deals with those obstacles and you follow this um like closely and let it evolve then i feel like it might also end up in a kind of a three act structure you know or in a hero's journey for that matter right but but it's still the exploration of things feels more organically and more authentic and i think you're absolutely right but and the inconsistency as yes. well yeah uh, if you look at like mike lee who depends who relies so heavily on improvisation yeah his characters will speak about things that have nothing to do with the central narrative through line at all yeah um they'll reference things that we've never seen or heard about and they'll, he'll never come back to them they'll, they'll talk about some history between the characters some predisposition or obsession the character has mm -hmm. that again has nothing to do with the central narrative but what those things do is they provide a verisimilitude a reality mm -hmm. yeah. that uh dialogue built around narrative doesn't provide exactly and then yeah. we recognize them as real people yeah. we engage with them right. we care about the outcome of uh their ability to overcome these insuperable obstacles and the story becomes that much better my writing process Uh, yeah. is to begin with dialogue i will always record the thing interesting i will just have my imagined characters speak with no outline with no plot structure with no intention i'll just have characters who i've invented speaking to each other right. and the thing will expand and expand and expand until i have 200 250 pages of uh dialogue okay and then uh, i go back and i look at it and i discover uh not only the characters who they are yeah. but i discover the story and in discovering the story i can say okay uh, this person's going on at length about their needs and desires uh early in this dialogue i'm going to need that because i can see that i can illustrate that later or i can reference this in some small way right. but really uh because these two people know each other there's a coda that they share yeah. they can make a brief reference to it and i can cut it back and cut it back Now we don't discover story but I discover in that character uh, who they are and I build the backstory. So then the, my next stage is to write long backstory based on this dialogue okay. of where the characters uh what their origins may be, what traumas they may have had and then and only then do I begin the real screenplay based on this first crazy mad what I call slop draft. Yeah. And then the backstory I created on that and then the and then of course the the structure i've also discovered by reading somebody said and i'm not sure if it was shaw or someone else yeah. that we write to, to discover what we know yes anyone who right. begins with an outline yeah. is presuming they know what they're going to say yeah. already yeah. i don't know what i'm going to say till i write it me neither me neither uh, like you know 99% of the time i have no idea until it is on the page and i read it and i feel like oh, Oh my god this is what's going on with me right now um so two two questions to what you just said and and thanks for sharing that it's like wonderful to to hear this um so you start with with these characters talking are they already in you know a kind of relationship and in in is this relationship driven by some kind of conflict or or is it or no what, what does I it do depend I, i i 
I make a rule for myself yeah. that the less I know, the better. Uh, I'm writing two historical TV series right now. Right. Now, my assistants immediately went out and got lots of books and references and things and said, oh, here's all the research. I said, no, I don't want any research right now. Yeah. I don't want to know anything about these characters. Yeah. And then I will take my uh, little microphone and my digital recorder and I'll go by the mountain paths that are around uh, where I am here in Ohio in the mountains south of uh, north of Los Angeles. And I will just begin to play the characters talking to each other. And invariably, they're based on people that I know or experiences that yeah, I've sure. had. Yeah. But it's but it's unintentional. Okay. Um, it is literally stream of consciousness. Right. The dialogue just comes from nowhere or from everywhere or from our life experience. I know that seems mad and pointless. No. But what I discover is as the characters begin to speak, they begin to acquire characteristics. Um, yes. And only through the long process of having these characters speak to each other do I begin to find out who they are. Then later, uh, only then um, do I discover uh, not only who these people are, but why they might be interesting. Then I do my research. Um, then I uh, start adding the template of some semblance of structure. The thing I'm trying to emphasize is for me as an artist, yeah. I had to eliminate all the mechanics of the process. Uh -huh. I had to eliminate the computer. Yeah. I had to eliminate the rule, mm -hmm. the typing. Um, all those things had to be removed. So it became wholly organic, just me really talking to myself. Mm -hmm. I once wrote in an essay that in ordinary human interaction, people lie to each other all the time. Mm -hmm. That's all they do is lie. They're always selling. Um, they're trying to sell their personalities, yeah. uh, their yeah. personalities trying to get someone to fall in love with them, um, whatever it is. Only when we're talking to ourselves are we actually honest. Yeah. So for me, right here... And, and sometimes, sorry to interrupt, but sometimes not even this. <laughs> you know, we yes, sometimes exactly. not even <laughs> really um, honest to ourselves. No, I think all the time we lie to ourselves. Yeah. One of the most fascinating things you do as a writer, of course, is to have a character lie and have the audience know they're lying. Yes, wonderful. Because that's a great way to reveal yeah. a character nature because we lie about the things that are important we only tell the truth about things that aren't important yeah and i think that's also a great driving force in a scene you know we're not going to talk about too much about directing but i feel like um that you know once you you play around with secrets and lies um this sort of you know infuses if you infuse this into a scene or into one character and only one character knows about this um and it you will you will see this on on screen later on that there is you know there's some magic happening between them um because it's like you said it's it's very human we we do this we do this all the time um okay and, right. and the second question related to um your method of of writing would be so what about theme when when does theme come into play is it there already when are you aware of what the theme could be and does it change uh, it, it absolutely changes uh, you see to me again i think the, the what the, the thrust of what we're talking about here is this idea of what we start with and what we end up with yeah For me, it's important to eliminate all the obstacles when you start. Mm -hmm. When I work with writers who have writer's block, which I think is uh, non-existent. Exactly, me too. Writers only have writing writer's block because they feel an obligation yeah. to serve 
uh, some order or structure that has been artificially imposed on them mm -hmm. by a, a client or by a book they've read or whatever it is. Yeah. The minute you say to a writer, um, do you ever write emails during the day? Oh, I write hundreds of emails. Yeah. Do you have conversations with your yeah. partner? Oh, do oh you, I have hundreds do, of do conversations. Yeah. I, I write yeah. text. Yeah. You're writing. Yes. Well, yeah, but that's not writing. Well, well it is. Yeah. But the reason you can write those things and not your screenplay is you have no specific rule or obligation right. that eliminates a lot of the things that you want to do mm -hmm. from what you do. You simply write what you feel. Yeah. Well, what if you were to write creatively like that? Yeah. How liberating would that be? Yeah. So, no, I don't begin with an individual theme. Um, I'll give you, I don't want to reveal uh, things that have to remain secret, but let me tell you about a screenplay that I wrote recently. Mm -hmm. um, it was um, about uh, an individual, a uh, famous individual, who uh, got very, very rich and famous and um, uh, then uh, fell in love with a woman who uh, was arrested, uh, was involved in a corruption that he didn't know about and she went to prison. Okay. It um, could have destroyed his life. Yeah. Instead of destroying his life, um, he went on a different path, a spiritual journey and discovered a whole new meaning to the way uh, he should carry on uh, with his remaining um, years. Uh, he reconnected with his beloved, he re-examined all his values and became a different person. Mm. Still wealthy, um, uh, didn't lose all, but viewed his wealth um, differently yeah. from that day after. Uh, opened these huge charities and um, spent a lot of time um, looking after the infirmed um, and the disenfranchised. Right. Now, you would think the obvious theme is, oh, someone who does stuff as God or spirituality. Mm, but that's skinner. not the way yeah. I began. I was more interested in simply the traumas that he went through, uh -huh. and near-death experience as well, and how that altered him. Yeah. And as I began the dialogue and started examining those things, other themes that I had never envisioned mm -hmm. came up. Yeah. So, so going to your question, I don't begin with a theme. Yeah. I begin with a vague notion of character. Mm -hmm. I begin with some vague notions of incidents that may have occurred to them. And then like an anthropologist, I guess, mm -hmm. I begin to examine uh, the nature of those people in those yeah. instances and how uh, I envision they may have changed or altered because all screenplays ultimately are about change. Yes. Uh, certainly one thing I do believe in absolutely in my writing is to have an arc of a person getting from one place to another. Yeah. Um, and then it just flows um, organically. I have to say that 90% of what I write in that first draft is thrown out, mm -hmm. but it serves a function. Yeah. It serves a function in my discovery of character. And yeah. then to your question, ultimately the discovery of theme. theme. Yeah. Let me say one last thing about this. Thing. Yeah. We can move on. When we wake up in the morning, go out into the world, I'm not sure we know what the theme of our day is going to be. Not, not, I'm not the slightest. Sure if that forced on. Yeah. And I don't th know if we know uh, the characters we encounter, if we know who they are. Yeah. What happens is we're provided with stimuli and then we use our faculties to try to figure those things out. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's the way I approach a screenplay. I have some general ideas, that's the stimuli, and then I try to find meaning. But first I have to begin with the evidentiary um, presentation 
that will allow me to extract meaning. And that evidence is dialogue. Yeah. So I write dialogue before I have theme, let the people talk naturally about the plethora of subjects they would examine from um, the nature. Like right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm certainly thinking about what we're talking about. Yeah. But I'm also aware that I've got some wildlife in my back garden yeah, up here yeah. in the mountains. I hear my wife, uh, you know, making lunch. I'm thinking of the discussion I had with her earlier, her concerns about where we're going next in the pandemic. And what is my theme for the day? I'm not sure if I know what it is yet, yet, yeah. uh, but I will discover it as to as, as I prioritize things. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I, I write as well. Now, I have to say where I end up is with a very clearly determined theme. Yeah. Um, and in, a, in an arc, in an arc, with yeah. an arc. And, yeah. and I see where people are going to go. But more importantly, I've developed characters who do more than simply provide exposition. They provide a complexity that we recognize as genuine humans. Right. And um, so what I what I relate to very much is that I discovered that for myself too after after sort of having written in this structure for so long that it kind of exhausted me and also I was feeling that it I, I wouldn't It, it it wouldn't let me get to the bottom of I, what I I actually was or what I actually wanted to say, if that makes any sense. And for me, the trick was that you know I left screenwriting for a bit, and and um, did try out something new, and I started writing my novel. And in this process, I learned so much, um, unbelievable things about myself and how I actually can operate um, and really find the truth about myself and this is by you know be, because I um, I was I was always struggling to to write a screenplay because you know like like you said I was I was starting the wrong way you know I was I was setting myself up for writer's block which I also know now that it doesn't exist but there is this thing this concern of you know you needing to hit those those marks that some, you know, someone out there has said to be the one thing that you need to be doing as a screenwriter. So um, you you cramp everything in there, and we, we, we talked about this, but, you know, when I started writing the novel, I experienced, I said to myself, like, Ben, um, what if you had all the freedom in the world? Like, you know, no one's watching you, and you don't have to even give that to someone to read Don't worry about it. Like, what if you would just start writing and see where you end up and you don't tell anybody about it and, and you just go? And I did. And this liberation that you keep talking about, like, hit me so hard. Like, this was the, the, the best epiphany in my, in my, you know, artistic career, if you will. Um, and then I found out that this other thing wasn't for me. It was not working. It was just not working. And I'm more, you know, I have a, have a not not a, a similar. I'm I'm not going about the dialogue, you know, but I need to be writing the story, like I, you know, I also start from character, but this character is already in a kind of struggle, and I and I, for me, I want to find out the struggle. I always, you know, for me, the character I want to I want to understand what the struggle is like internally. Um, so I I keep writing 
obstacles, basically throw obstacles at him or her, and then through that I discover. And by just free writing. That's so that's my my process of it. But it's it's it really much relates to what you just said and 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 um yeah, I can It's very interesting that we've gone down different roads and arrived at the same place, yeah. both of us. Because yeah. what you've described is exactly writing a novel um is what every screenwriter should do. Yeah. When you sit down and say, I have no rules, I'm simply going to start writing, discover most of all about myself. Yes. Because there's something very important just then, because I write every day, but I always begin my writing by uh, writing about myself, about my experience of the world, um, about what I'm feeling. Um, and that kind of warms me up like an athlete stretching before I get to uh, my paid work. But is it, sorry to interrupt uh, you, is it, is it, is it yeah. somewhat of a diary kind of thing or is it? Or are you it's a little bit like a diary, yeah. um, a diary with diatribes where I will go off on some individual thing that's upsetting me or concerning me, right. or uh, sometimes it's an essay. Sometimes I'm writing about writing. Uh, sometimes um, there's thoughts I might have. Sometimes it's personal stuff. A lot is memory oriented. Um, yeah. I'm trying to see. It's very interesting that we, we don't document our own lives for the most part. Mm. Um, I've been thinking about my childhood and then trying to think of each year, not only what uh, I was like, but what I might have been feeling and thinking, trying to examine those things, yeah. trying to imagine what happened to the character, the people that I knew back then. Um, and it expands the consciousness, but also it makes us examine those things that are important. Yeah. And I think that that's what a writer has to do. What you just said was profound for me, uh, how liberating the novel was. Why should the novel be more liberating than the screenplay? Huh. It's because in the novel, we feel that we can indulge ourselves. Yeah. not really indulging at all. It sounds pejorative. Indulging is a good thing as, yeah. as, a, as a thinking person, a sentient person. But we indulge ourselves in the examination of big ideas, of notions, of mm -hmm. coming to complex understandings of yeah. complex people, yeah. at least ourselves. Well, isn't that what we should do? Isn't that where we should begin Screenplays. I mean, what exactly. I've described, my process of dictating, is yeah. really just writing a novel that ends up as a screenplay. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. And it, like, it took me, um, it took me quite a while to figure that one out. It really took me. Uh, and I, and I wish that you know someone would have pointed uh, me to to that earlier. Um, but you know, things happen when you also when you're ready. I mean, that's you know also a given, right? So it might have been just the right time anyways. Yeah. No, well, you make a great point also. Things when I read it, it's been very important in my own life because I um, uh, was diverted. I started as a writer um, yeah. in England uh, and then um, ended up doing all these other careers and then came back to what my real passion always was about, but informed by my other experiences. Mm. If I had not been a cinematographer, mm. I would not have the understanding of writing that I have now because I realized that, uh, and an actor said this to me once, Risa Fan said this to me when we were making Last Call. Um, uh, we were talking about a scene and we were struggling over it and how to get there. And he said, maybe this is a moment where the character doesn't say anything and just we see him thinking. Mm. And we did that, we did a shot which lasted for 30 seconds, which in screen time is interminable. Slow push into a character just thinking. I realized as a writer, you never want to put that on the page. Right. Because we're not being proactive 
And as writers, we want to kind of control everything. Yeah. And yet, it was the exactly right thing to do at that moment. Uh, and I realized that as a writer, sometimes you do less anticipating that the actor or the director will do the rest for you. And I think that makes for a better screenplay. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful observation. Wonderful observation. Um, which brings me, you know, I, I wanted to talk to you about this uh like I wanted to touch on it at least, um, but you answered it uh, already, like how much did it inform um, your writing? And I'm, I'm feeling that, you know, once you, because I always, I also started um, as, a, as a director um, before I, you know, became a writer. I, I did music videos when, you know, MTV was still a thing. Um, and so that's, that's how I, you know, um, got, you know, found my way into the business, if you will. But I always had a thing for writing too. You know, I just never showed it to people. Um, but what I found was was various things. One, um, the understanding of framing um, is is super important. And and I feel like this is what I you know try to teach my students as well. Although they come to me and say like, this is a screenwriting class. Why do we have to learn about you know framing? Because I think that, you know, once you understand framing, you understand how to write it on the page and you can you can sort of make one sentence a shot, you know, which describes a shot. And when there's a full stop, there is a cut, you know, in your movie and think about it like sequences. And and all of a sudden, you know, the page itself doesn't doesn't just become this white um, thing with black ink on it. It really is like a map and you can see that like visually and also pacing is one thing that I learned, you know, because like if you have people talking, you need to figure out the pacing, especially in comedy. Otherwise you're, you know, it, it, it just goes off the window because it goes out the window because it doesn't work. If the pacing is off, um, the joke can be wonderful, but no one will, you know, laugh. Um, and so, so by by doing all this, wearing all these different hats, and I was going to ask you the same thing, like uh, by wearing all these same hats, I discovered for myself that was like the most valuable lesson in terms of screenwriting, because also the directing aspect of it, you know, how to speak to actors and what they understand about what's on the page and how they can translate it over to something that they can really immerse themselves in, that's a whole other animal. And this is what I learned, yeah. You make a huge point, a hugely important point, Ben. It, look, what people fail to recognize is that um, film is a bunch of different languages right. um, that combine to have an impact on an audience. And we have to understand, as writers, what language is. And language is made of two parts, isn't it? It's made of... Um, the, the signifier, mm -hmm. the image that we see or the, the, the dialogue that we hear and the signified that the idea that we're conveying. Yeah. So we have a code that conveys the idea as writers, uh, our code is possibly the spoken word, mm -hmm. but in cinematography, it's slightly different from that. It's an image. You could have exactly. a asymmetrical composition with a character way on the side, you know, this is director as well. And the audience looks at that and they feel something. Now, what's interesting, going back to my story about the little boy in the forest, yeah. those things which we can't, can't quantify, we're less inclined to use. 
That doesn't mean they're less important because we can't quantify them. True that. It's the same reason we want to be screenwriters when we're told that there's a formula. We <laughs> like the idea of formula because there's an answer to our question. Right. But of course, the formula doesn't really answer our question because there's a lot of bad screenplays that follow the formula. Yep. And in fact, if 90% of all films use that formula and 95% of all films fail, that would suggest that the formula is a failed formula. And it, yet it would, people yes. keep using the same formula. Yes. <laughs> I know. So it's fascinating to me that people keep saying, well, you got to write it this way. Yeah. All the successful films have used the three-act play. Yeah. I go, yeah, and only about 5% of films are successful. That means that the other 95% uh, who've used that formula, what happened to those? Well, they fail. So 95% fail. Yeah. Isn't that a bad ratio? Yeah. But nobody's figured that out. Now, <laughs> uh, as a screenwriter, we also have to look at this composition. I was actually born, recognize that this stimulus elicits a response in an audience, which we can't quantify. How do we put that on a page? We can't. Certain things have to be left. So we can't say, we can say a special composition. That would be a strange thing in a screenplay. Uh, that comes from the director. Music. Mm. We can possibly mm. reference some specific music, but music's also a signifier and signify. It's a language yes. that, again, elicits a response in an audience. Yeah. So as screenwriters, we have to recognize there's only so much that we can do, um, but we should also recognize that that's not necessarily a bad thing that if we overwrite, if we have our characters say too much, yeah. we could be, could be subverting our own movies because now we're making the film rely on dialogue rather than rely on those other complex elements yeah. that might reach a part of the soul that writing and dialogue and speech can. can yes. Or the way we write. Yeah. Do we write in ordinary conversation? Or in my last film, I wrote mostly in free verse, as it may seem, um, with All this right. you know, John Malkovich and everyone else. Yeah. There's a film about a poet, and I wrote poetically. Right. And I found that through the use of poetical language, the film became much more emotive because the conversation wasn't banal. Yeah. It was elegant and like a beautiful photographic image it reached the part of the human spirit that ordinary dialogue couldn't reach. Yeah, so it was like kind of music also. It was a kind Beautiful, of music. Ex yeah. Exactly like yeah. music. It was yeah. highly emotive yeah. because there was a musicality to the lyricism of the language. Right. Nicely said. Yeah, it make, makes total sense. makes total sense. So I'm, I'm wondering where in all of what we talked about, where does genre fit in? What's your take of genre? Um, do you do you think that a writer should write in one particular genre, or do you believe that any writer can write basically any any genre they want? Well, I, I think um, we find different writers excel in different genres, and again, this goes back to where we began the conversation yeah. uh, with the idea of money. The problem is that right now I get paid fairly substantial money, fortunately, for, for my scripts. Uh, and that is, a, is, is kind of a terrible thing because <laughs> I know they're paying me money because they want me to deliver a script like the other scripts of mine mm -hmm. that were in a particular shape or form or style yeah. that they feel will help them get the res result they want, which is their films make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So 
part of me is saying, well, they paid me a lot of money. I know what they want and I better give them what they want. So they'll pay me more money in the future. Right. Creatively, of course, that is stullifying. Yeah. So where we began the conversation and uh, like all good art, we came back where we started. Right. Um, this is our dilemma because if we write to please, we will fail. Exactly. If we write to a formula, we will fail. Yeah. If we write to explain rather than to explore the human condition, we will fail. Yeah. Um, so it's counterintuitive. We have to be almost self-destructive and self-indulgent to actually create something that is great art and ironically or paradoxically yeah. has a greater chance of success than if we take the conservative course yeah. and pursue success. It's the sort of thing where we'll only succeed if we try to fail. Oh, wonderful, Stephen. Oh, that is so good. So here's the thing that I've been meaning to ask you anyways. Um, your, your movie, Last Call, yeah, or, or Dominion, yes. Dominion it, it was Dominion yes, it was and now Dominion. it's Last Call. It was called the right. Okay. Uh, it is when I when I um, recall correctly, it's about the last day of Dylan Thomas. Correct. And and you speaking of that that just, you know, readily caged like we talked um, before, positively, you know, it, it just it, it just popped in my head that I thought, oh my God, self-destruction. That's really what was happening to Dylan Thomas, wasn't it? So Ultimately, and this is the question to you, like, was that something that drew you to the whole thing? Oh, I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lesser form of Dylan Thomas. Uh, his story is profound for me because I see so much of myself. In it. I, look, I've had a lot of good reviews. People called it Oscar worthy at some festivals. And then one reviewer, and of course, like all good artists, we can have 10,000 good reviews. We're not interested in those. No. We're only interested in the one bad review. Yes. So the, the one bad review said, this wasn't an accurate portrayal of Dylan Thomas's life. You're damn right it wasn't. Yeah, it was. I didn't mean it to be. Yeah. I'm a writer. Yeah. I'm not here to uh, tell an uh, a, a, a individual story. And there's a bird outside my window going crazy. I'm not here to uh, be a biographer or a documentarian. Uh, I want to tell my uh version of uh his life yeah. based on my life you know as artists we're not so concerned with our good reviews and the majority of the the, the reviews of this film have been good yeah we're obsessed with the one bad review so the one bad review said that um uh, the film wasn't an accurate portrayal of dylan thomas's life mm -hmm. i didn't want it to be an accurate portrayal of dylan thomas's life i'm not a documentarian i was trying to give an insight into the experience of being an artist, mm -hmm. specifically this idea of self-destruction. Yes. Uh, constant introspection uh, gives us insights into not only the world, but ourselves. And for Dylan Thomas, he discovered that those things which he hoped were resonant weren't resonant. Mm. So suddenly uh, all the things that provided a spiritual foundation for life, um, he, thought no longer had a validity. And I went through this same individual uh, crisis, particularly this idea, which is central to the film, the idea of seduction. Right. Which is something you and I have been talking about, yeah. because all writing, all human interaction, ultimately is seduction. 
We want True. people to like us or like our scripts oh, yeah. or give us money to write scripts. What is that process but seduction? Say, here's the script. Do you like it? Mm -hmm. We've fooled them into liking it. We've mm -hmm. given them what they wanted. Yeah. Well, if we're giving them what we want, what are we doing? We're seducing them in a way not a sexual way, but this is a business way, a business seduction. True, true. Or when we're talking to a crowd and giving a speech or reading poetry or being vainglorious in our language, it's a group seduction, a collective seduction. Yeah. So Dylan Thomas ultimately realizes, and he went on this tour of America, fantastic speaker, beautiful poetry, and he realized that all his interactions were based on seduction. Uh, Nothing was based on real intimacy uh, because he was constantly selling himself. Uh, and ultimately this is his undoing because he has uh, no real connection uh, with anyone who matters to him. Interesting. So that was the journey uh, of the film. And he takes these 18 double scotches, which he actually did, uh, knocks them back in a few hours, names each one after an insight or an experience in his life. Um, and then his dreams, his imaginations, and his uncertain reality yeah. all blend together in this... Um, uh, Sort of poetical, uh, lyrical examination of his experience of life. Wonderful. Um, and that's what the film was about. But is it about Dylan Thomas? No, it's about me. It's about mm -hmm. you as a writer. Mm -hmm. It's about all of us trying to discover something of value in the world and either succeeding or failing to greater or lesser degree. I had the feeling that it um, that this was at the core of it. Um, Although I have yet to see it, uh, and I cannot wait, um, but I'm I'll but, send it to you. but I'm super intrigued already, um, and also find it like what, what happened to the black and white um, discussion. Is it, um, it because parts of it were black and white and others were in, in color, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, did you I, stick I, to I it? Feel it? Again, goes to what we're talking about screenwriting. Yeah. Is that uh, I wanted a um, a. A, a primal experience for an audience mm. um, that I want them to get to the emotional core. One of the reasons I'm attracted to poetry um, or and this, what I call free verse, which is a mixture of poetry and ordinary language yeah. is it gets to the essence of an idea. Uh, so often in a banal, ordinary conversation, which we fill our screenplays with, yeah. um, there's so much that has no significance at all. Mm -hmm. um, we say, well, this is the way people talk in ordinary life. When we're making art, shouldn't art be a distillation of life? Yes. When it someone's should. speaking poetically, they get to the essence of an idea right away. It's the same thing, my narrative is so solidified. We spend so much time with plot points and explain mm -hmm. how a person got from A to B and providing a logic. Yeah. If we eliminate all that, so everything is a compression of experience. Let's go back to Proust, for example. Oh, yeah. Um, Do we, do we experience the world in a linear way? Mm -hmm. Or is life, in fact, experienced as imagination, memory, and the specific mm -hmm. all blended together? Exactly. All those things. All those things yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we, if we take a Proustian view of screenwriting or experience, then all these things can happen very, very quickly. We get to the essence of an idea very, very quickly. And then um, it becomes, there's a purity of communication, um, which I think engages an audience at a more uh, fundamental or primal level. Mm -hmm. Black and white is significant in that regard because studies, most importantly by uh, a, a, a researcher named Zettel, found that when you present an image in bright colors, mm -hmm. uh, audiences are less likely to be emotionally engaged. 
Interesting. When you present an image in black and white, there's a much higher level of emotional engagement. Is it? Is it because Same we? Token, if you do a, if you do a comedy in black and white, yeah. there's very little engagement. If you do a comedy in bright colors, a much higher likelihood that the audiences will find it funny. Interesting. And that was an actual, double-blind complex study. So if we're getting in our language down to the primal and the fundamental, yeah then shouldn't we be doing that with our images as well? Absolutely. And put them in black and white. Yes. And that's how we came up that. So in the end, the, the film becomes a very intense experience. One example, and I will send you the film and maybe I'll send you some clips that you can use later if you want. Oh, yes, um, he's in a bar, he's drinking, his wife is far away, but he's now 12 scotches in and he begins to hallucinate. And he imagines his wife is there in the bar. And rather than talking about the weather or how she got there or what she did that day, right away, he says to her how much he hates her for being unfaithful to him. And she then says how he broke her heart by being unfaithful to her. Yeah, yeah. And they scream at each other and get to the very primal nature of the relationship. The scene lasts for about three minutes and is done. And he's back in the bar speaking to other people. Right. Now, there's no other structure or form that I could have created that allows me that sh emotional shorthand mm -hmm. to get to the nature of an adult relationship yeah. that is dysfunctional. But I could in this format, and this seems, uh, you know, magical. I mean, I've sat in audiences and watched people burst into spontaneous, you know, tears and, and uh, emotion. Yeah. Something that lasts a few minutes because we went to its primal essence. Yeah, to the essence. Wonderful. And also, I'm I'm very curious. Okay, so this is Dylan Thomas, right? Whether it's uh, it's Dylan Thomas or not, you know, it's up to anyone's you know <laughs> imagination exactly. or whatever. Uh, you you uh, said what you wanted to say about this, um, but I was I was curious about you know the other movie that you did um, and also directed, um, Decoding Annie Parker. Um, it's also based on a on a true story or at least um, on 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 a real character real life character so I was I was wondering and I'm going to ask you this um, just uh, bluntly is what is what is going on with the real life people like why do you feel um, drawn to to those stories or why why did you choose um, those stories in the first place Excellent question. Um, the case of Decoding Annie Parker, I had uh, left writing and directing for a very long time, um, became a cinematographer and things, and shot Monster, which uh, the whole phenomena went and won the Oscar. And then I was coming back to me and saying, well, you've written all these screenplays. Would you consider directing again, as you did back in England? And um, I was looking for some material. Yeah. And uh, there was, we, we talked to our, disc our discussions about money. And someone said, well, we have money in Canada. Um, we want to do something that's based on real life. Do you have a, a script oh. based in Canada? And I said, no, I, I don't. I have a basic, but I rang an agent who, um, so that we've had this screenplay here written by this woman uh, and a friend of hers. Um, uh, they were amateurs. Um, I read the script. Um, I think I'd be the first to admit that uh, it didn't work. It wasn't very good. It was melodramatic and mm -hmm. all the rest of it. it was a noble attempt, but uh, uh Uh, and not a take that I would make on the story. So I looked at it and I said, there's an essence of something here again that I might be able to base something on. And I did some research and I came across uh, another story. That story was about someone named Annie Parker, 
who was a, a three-time cancer survivor. Yeah. But one of the cancers she had was this thing called the BRCA1 gene, which is a, a virulent, awful type of cancer, um, uh, breast cancer that certain women have. Um, but no one could work out what it came from or why people had it. They just thought, you okay. just got it maybe from something you ate or whatever uh, uh, to do with diet. There was a researcher in Seattle named Mary Claire King who believed that most cancers had a genetic origin. Mm -hmm. And no one believed her. And no, she didn't get any money for her research. She spent 15 years of her life self-funded researching genetic connections to cancer and particularly to this wow. type of breast cancer. Yeah. And at the end of the 15 years, it turned out she was absolutely right. And it revolutionized everyone's understanding Boom. Yeah. of cancer. So what I did was I took these two stories, the story of this woman in Canada who had the BRCA gene mm -hmm. among her other cancers and the story of this researcher. And I found a theme by creating this dialogue. And the theme was faith with a small f. Not faith in God, yeah. but faith that there's something, uh, there's an order or structure in the world that isn't ostensible, but is real. Yeah. Mary Claire King believed that um, there was a genetic link to cancer. Uh, and Anne Parker believed that she could find a cure for cancer by reading. Mm. Um, and she never did, but she never died either. She's still alive to this day and she shouldn't be. Wow. So the idea that I examined was how her belief yeah. that the world was malleable and could be transmogrified mm -hmm. by um, her discovering things sustained her. Right. And Mary Claire King with no money and no support and as a woman researcher in this patriarchy, no one believed that she was correct, how she sustained herself and how these two women who in the story eventually meet in real life, never did until I introduced them, uh, both went on the same journey um, mm. and how they discovered ultimately that faith sustains. Now, why base it uh, both films on, on real people? Yeah. First case, it was accidental uh -huh. um, and to do with money. Uh, in a second case, it was my, my obsession with Dylan Thomas as um, my uh, alter um, ego. Right. But I think also we all find inspiration um, in life. For me, the way my mind works is I look at things and I derive mm -hmm. uh, ideas from stimuli, but I need to start somewhere. Same as I do dialogue. I'll have my character speak and then I will discover a theme. In looking at people's real lives, I look at them and I discover a theme that's not presented to me by study and analysis. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we all do when we meet people is we look at them and we try to work out who they are. Exactly. That's what I do with yeah. my characters. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um, and yeah, this is this is also um, one thing that I found, and and this is a question uh, for you also. Do you feel like as a writer, you should be curious, or curiosity is kind of a thing that is that is at the core of every writer, like? Would you would you even go as far as to say like maybe the curi the curious aspect like being curious um, and walking around with open eyes and and, and soaking it all up uh, is what you need to be in order to be a writer? That's brilliantly that's beautifully and I, and may I say poetically put. I think that's exactly Thanks. what we are. Yeah, is we are we are the curious mm -hmm. and. We, which is why I think it's so important that we don't begin with themes or ideas or outlines. 
I think we have to discover yeah. meaning yeah. Um, in a chaotic, almost meaningless world. Oh, wonderful. We have to presume that the seemingly obvious motivations for characters aren't their real motivations. Exactly, yeah. Rarely so, yeah. Exactly. And our understandings of people aren't what they seem to be. We have a, a political campaign going on right now, which is, again, this idea of essential dishonesty. Yeah. Characters try to sell themselves as they how they want us to be perceived. And I realize I look at the campaign, this is what life is, mm. is that people are always campaigning yeah. and trying to present themselves and get people not to vote for them than to love them or support them or yeah. hire them or whatever it is. It's an, again, going back to this idea seduction. of Dylan Thomas thing, it's an endless seduction. Yeah. Well, we as writers have to look at those, that cavalcade of seduction and discover the real nature of the characters that we've created. And via that journey, discover our own real natures. Because you said something very profound earlier when I said, oh, everyone lies in human interaction. It's only when we're talking to ourselves that we're speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. And then you said, but even then, yeah. we may be lying. Yeah. And I think that's a great observation. Yeah. I think uh, the greatest lies are the ones we tell ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and um, I mean, this comes from my own experience. And again, coming back to the to the novel, which did sort of did the trick for me, because I, I really, I discovered what what my main struggle in life is. I, I really gained the insight that everything that is that is standing in my way, everything, you know, my behaviorism, um, how I adapt to situations, comes back to the fact that I didn't get a chance to work it out with my father because he died too early. And we, I was, I was, you know, I was too young. I was um, too much of a riot teenager um, to get it to, to have this conversation when we had the time. So what ended up having uh, happening is that I sort of th- that this became my struggle, you know. And it's and it's like this is at the root of all evil, if you will. And and I didn't, of course, I had the notion that that this affected me like this is a trauma you know and you can really spot it you can put a finger to it but i didn't know how much and how deeply it affected me and once i tapped into that everything sort of became more clear um and yeah so this that's that's a a profound observation and we don't even realize um the things that are uh driving us mm. and that's an important thing in writing is that this idea that a character when heroic has an understanding of themselves i don't think even heroic characters have understanding of themselves mm. i think what's central to my um, engagement with the world is viewing it as a place that is always chaotic always uncertain and uh lacking in uh clear structure I have seen enough people die or been with them when they were dying to look at their faces. And the thing that terrified me the most was the confusion Mm. that even at the end of life and even once a long life, no clarity had come. Mm -hmm. Like Beckett, 
most of us spend our time um, doing nothing but filling the hours of the day. Yeah. Uh, because we don't really see a transcendent order. But we feel we can always fix it later. Mm -hmm. We can always, the epiphany is coming. Uh, the book that we have to read, the relationship that we need is coming. Yeah. Then when we're at death's door, we realize that no. none of those things are going to happen. Exactly. And then there's one last desperate uh, search for meaning in the few minutes left to us, and there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. I think as writers, we're always at death's door. Mm -hmm. Searchers. Um, we're looking for that search. We're looking for that meaning and that understanding. Yeah. And we're not waiting to panic. Um, we're panicked already. Yeah. That meaning won't be found. And your observation about your relationship with the father, I think is a significant one. Um, and there's so many other things like that that happen in our lives that um, we um, subvert, we mm -hmm. hide. Oh yeah. Uh, obfuscate, we, we, uh, uh, obscure we intentionally don't understand we re-encode mm -hmm. all those things because some things are just too difficult uh, to deal with yeah which goes back to where we began again the discussion about you know structure and order and screenplay the important thing the most important thing you said i think was the observation about your dad because as a writer and as a thinker that's the thing that's driving you as an artist yeah um when we sit down and write a screenplay if the thing we're most concerned about is um, where our inciting incident happens, mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> uh, where our plot points are. Yeah. Are we really um, engaged as artists or are we artisans um, plugging ourselves into an outline that doesn't adequately reflect uh, our struggle? Yeah. Yeah. Wonderfully said. And um, I mean, we could, we could carry on for hours. Um, <laughs> Stephen, I'm, um, I'm having so much fun talking to you and um, it's, it, it's unreal. Um, but unfortunately we have to come to an end. Um, and I, I would leave it, you know, at what you just said, because I feel that sums it up just really um, nicely. And um, again, we came full circle to where we, where we started. And I feel like our storytelling wise, um, we kind of did a great job doing that. So why not leave it at that? Um, but before, before I let you go, um, I would, I would please, uh, give you, uh, give you the chance to point some things out because you are, uh, a man of various hats and you also do teach. Um, and you have movies coming out. Give us a little sense of um, what people can get um, when they contact you. Like, uh, uh, you know, I refer to your um, Instagram and also obviously to your website. I will link them down below for people to check out. But uh, what's to find on the website, for instance? Um, well, um, the, the website is, uh, there's a few different websites. Um, there's um, uh, Somebody Studios, which uh, has access to um, a lot of the things that we're, uh, my partner and I do around the world. Uh, we have a film initiative in Greece um, where we've, uh, we run a film school there. We were until the pandemic. Uh, we've got a studio being built there and we brought uh, many productions there. We uh, created a tax credit to attract um, 
production degree is the most aggressive in Europe. It's 40%. So uh, we talk about that. Um, I lecture online from time to time at universities and institutions around the world. Um, we announce those things. But probably the best point of contact is actually my Instagram, which has sort of now taken over a lot of our social media. Steve Bernstein, a director, writer, and I try each day to uh, take a scene or a clip from a film and then write a little essay about it that oh, would yeah. be of value to uh, filmmakers or, 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 or writers. Um, I do also give uh, uh, talks uh, there, which are longer. Um, you can find things on Facebook, um, even on Twitter, but probably um, uh, Instagram is the best uh, you know, point of uh, point of contact. Yeah. Um, we're, uh, there's a book coming out, um, I should mention, that um, uh, I wrote a book before for Focal Press. There's a new one coming out in the new year uh, called uh, Creative Process, which is about a lot of things we're talked about, but also goes into the related areas. So I said before that I see all film as a series of languages, and we, I really talk about how these languages tie together um, to create the most uh, effective uh, communication for a would-be director or writer or filmmaker. Um, and then, yeah, I have a film coming out, as you mentioned, um, Last Call uh, with uh, John Malkovich, Risa Fons, Roman Laguerre, uh, Tony Hale, Rodrigo Santoro, um, a big cast. Uh, the film was meant to come out um, on many, many screens uh, uh, earlier this year, oh, right when the pandemic was starting. Mm. So uh, now we have new strategies. So it might be appearing uh, on some of the serving um, services first. Uh, that will be announced shortly. Uh, first, we have some screenings for the awards. Uh, that are towards season now in, in Hollywood. So uh, we're having all those special screens for journalists, but that film will come out before the end of this year. And then uh, there's a couple of films that are in development also. So I'll keep everyone informed. But look, I feel two things I want to do. Uh, one, uh, a quote from T.S. Eliot, uh, which you and I have been referencing obliquely throughout this conversation, which is, we shall not cease from exploration. At the end of all our exploring, we will arrive where we began. Mm -hmm. and to know the place for the first time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Beautiful. that's uh, what so much of the screenwriting process is about, is rather than locking into an outline mm -hmm. um, or a structure or an order or even a theme at the beginning, uh, I would say you begin with some notional um, inspirational as to what you want to write about. Uh, you write it. Um, you have complex characters, even complex order and structure. And then when you start your second draft, mm -hmm. uh, that's when you come back to where you began yep. and you see it as if for the first time with a new understanding of who your characters are, what their backstory is and what your story should have been about. You write so you know what you mean. Yep. You can't begin writing uh, knowing what you mean. Yes. Writing itself is a journey. Uh, of, uh, of discovery. And for me, uh, teaching, mm -hmm. lecturing, explaining, yep. provides a clarity in my own mind, oh, yeah. which probably my students won't always <laughs> extract from my lectures. Yep. I find explaining things to others makes things clearer for me. Yeah, same so me. in part, it's a giving back. I've had a, a, a good life and a happy one, and I want to give back to, to, to others, but also, uh, it's edifying to explain and discuss and engage mm -hmm. like you and I have. Mm -hmm. uh, there's never one of these discussions I don't come away uh, without something of value as I have uh, this afternoon. So um, I will be available uh, always. Uh, each day I post something on uh, Instagram. Yeah. Um, and university director writer, I'll announce the films. You and I hope we'll talk again in the future. 
I want to engage with people and uh, what we can discover about ourselves, about film, we can do together. Yeah, wonderful. And also, uh, since you mentioned your Instagram, um, you've been doing uh, very interesting things lately, writing about fear. So people and, and being fearless and anything that comes to it related to the artistic mind. And um, guys, you know, if you're listening, check this out. I will put a link down below in the show notes uh, for you to for you to check out. And yes, um, like Stephen said, reach out and um, and and check out what uh, you know he's writing about daily on his Instagram. It's it's um, it's really uh, it's given you something to think about, and it's given you some insights on that you can also use for the writing. Uh, although some of it is um, more towards the uh, DOP side of things but it will explain to you circumstances um, to elicit emotions through framing and through camera movement and stuff like that, which is also, all of this, uh, you know, comes in very handy and it's a great thing to have in your toolbox, even as a writer. Um, so go check that out. And Stephen, thank you so much for your time and thanks for the chat. It's uh, It'd be mind-blowing. Um, and um, yes, um, I'm happy to talk to you again. Let's do it again. By the way, Ben, I always look at your site and those little quotes and things that you put up there, always of, uh, of value. So, you know, the thing about writers, and this is the last thing I'll say, is that we are all on an individual journey. It can be quite lonely. Yeah. What's lovely is when writers get a chance to speak to each other as you and I just have, because then we realize uh, just like what, as artists, we want everyone to realize that we are not alone. Exactly. Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you too. Bye, Stephen. Cheers.